I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Curious Canadian History. I'm your host... David Boris. While historians may still debate when exactly the Cold War began, broadly speaking, many agree that it began at some point in the late 1940s. Yet, it was clear by 1945 that the final battle lines drawn when the war in Europe ended would play a significant role in determining the future of the post-war world. One of the earliest examples of this tension playing out was over the German coastal town of Wiesmar. In early May 1945, a British airborne division spearheaded by 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion rushed northwards from the Elbe River to capture this coastal town. While certainly part of the intention was to force the surrender of German forces in the area, the other objective was to cut off the Soviet advance from the east and prevent them from having any further designs on Denmark. The collision of these two allied forces at Wismar became a harbinger of the tension to come in the post-war world. This is Season 8, Episode 16, Seize Wismar, Stop the Soviets. Today's book recommendation is titled Tip of the Spear, an Intimate Account of 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion. This is by Colonel Bernd Horn and Michael Wachinski, published by Dundurn Press in 2002. What makes this book so interesting is that it's a collection of photos from 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion's time in service during the Second World War with really interesting captions and anecdotes going with each photo. In the final months of the Second World War in Europe, the German army was rapidly collapsing on both fronts. The Soviets were more than halfway across Germany, and the Western Allies were pushing rapidly eastwards. By late April 1945, it was clear to all that wherever these armies ended up when the war was officially over would have a significant bearing on the post-war world that was to come. While 
Allied relations between the West and the East had been somewhat cordial since the Soviet Union entered the war in 1941, they had frayed dramatically by 1945, particularly in the aftermath of the death of American President Franklin Roosevelt. By April, Stalin was the only leader of the big three, so the United States, Great Britain, and the Soviet Union, to still be in power. President Truman had replaced FDR with a much less conciliatory attitude towards the Soviet leader, and Prime Minister Clement Attlee had replaced Winston Churchill. Thus, the trust and relationships that had been developed throughout the war amongst the big three, while certainly never friendly in any traditional diplomatic sense, was gone by April 1945. Truman suspected Stalin of a broader communist agenda pinned around conquering as much of Europe as possible, and Stalin suspected the West of their own post-war imperial agenda. This added a rather unusual tension to the final days of the war. Western Allied leaders now sought to seize strategically important ground to prevent the Soviets from having any further claim to territory in the post-war world. Meanwhile, the Soviets were pushing as far west as possible in order to counter any efforts by the Western Allies to limit Soviet influence in the post-war world. This tension over where the final lines were to be drawn played out dramatically in a town called Wismar, located along Germany's Baltic coast. Wismar was founded in the early 13th century and was claimed by a series of different Germanic states until 1648 when it became part of the Swedish Empire. It remained part of Sweden for the next 200 years and was informally returned to Germany in 1803 and then formally returned in 1903. By the beginning of the Second World War, the city was part of the German state of Mecklenburg-Vorpommern and had an important port facility. During the war itself, Wismar was subjected to heavy bombing raids from the Allies and was also the site of a forced labor camp. But Wismar's true strategic significance lay in the fact that it was situated along the North German Plain, a geographical stretch that had been a natural invasion highway for different armies for centuries. The city was a key transportation hub going east and west. For the Soviets, grabbing Wismar could allow them to move quickly to Lübeck, and from Lübeck, they could turn northwest and move straight into Denmark. Now, the very first meeting between Allied and Soviet troops occurred near the town of Torgau along the Elbe River on the 25th of April, 1945. This meeting was governed primarily by the concern that the two sides might inadvertently fire at each other, causing a major diplomatic incident. In this situation, all was handled peacefully, and the two sides were quite cordial with each other. However, Wismar would be a different beast. That city lay along the path of 21st Army Group. This formation was commanded by Bernard Montgomery. And now Monty, as well as the higher-ups at Sheyef, so Supreme Headquarters Allied Expeditionary Force, 
as well as all of their political masters in Washington and London, were all very keen to prevent the Soviets from grabbing any extra territory not agreed upon already at the Yalta Conference back in February 1945. If the British could seize the town of Wismar, they could then force the German army group in that area, including German military forces in Denmark, to surrender. This surrender to the Western Allies, as opposed to the Soviets, would effectively allow the Western Allies to occupy the regions of northwest Germany and Denmark and block the Soviets from advancing any further west. Now, Western Allied forces had crossed the Rhine River, the traditional Western geographical boundary of Germany, back in March, and this was with Operation Varsity, the largest airborne operation ever conducted in a single day and single location. Once across the Rhine, 21st Army Group was now responsible for moving further north. Thus, it was that 18th U.S. Airborne Corps seized a bridgehead across the Elbe River. Following this, British 6th Airborne Division was tasked with moving rapidly north-northeast to the town of Wismore to thus block the advancing Soviets coming from the east. And it's here that 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion enters our story. Curious Canadian history. We'll be back after the break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Folks, I know that sometimes advertisements can get in the way of a good story. And here at CCH, we never want a good story's momentum broken up. But we rely on advertisement for the financial support needed to continue to make this podcast. That being said... There is a way to access the latest CCH episodes advertisement-free. If you go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for Curious Canadian History, you can access all our episodes ad-free by just donating one or two bucks to the podcast. It's easy, safe, and it's a great way to get this content without the ads. Patreon even has an app. So you can simply use the app on your phone like you would be using any of your podcast apps and have every new CCH episode right there at your fingertips. Check out patreon.com slash Curious Canadian History today and join the club. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. The 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion was created in July 1942 after Canadian officials saw how successful paratroopers were being used by the British and the Germans. The battalion contained just over 600 men, officers and other ranks included. The battalion did its basic training, a four-week course, at Fort Benning in Georgia, and then in April 1943 moved to a newly built camp in Shiloh, Manitoba. And just an interesting side note, in December of 1942, 
97 recruits from the 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion left the battalion at Fort Benning to go and train with a brand new unit in Fort Harrison, Montana. This unit would eventually be known as the 1st Special Service Force, an elite Canadian-American unit. That unit would later earn the nickname the Devil's Brigade. The Canadian Parachute Battalion finally left Canada in July 1943 to join British 6th Airborne Division in England, where the battalion continued to train. Their first taste of combat came in June 1944, where they were dropped in Normandy on the night of June 5th, early morning of June 6th, to support the D-Day landings. They fought continuously in Normandy until September 1944, when by that time the battalion had lost over half of its fighting complement. The battalion needed to be completely reorganized and retrained and reinforced after such terrible losses and didn't return to continental Europe until December 44, where it took part in the Battle of the Ardennes. In March 45, it took part in the crossing of the Rhine, the aforementioned Operation Varsity, and then was ordered to spearhead six airborne divisions pushed north towards Wiesmar. The commander of 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion was acting Lieutenant Colonel Fraser Eady from Winnipeg, who had taken over command of the battalion in March after the death of the battalion's commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Nicklin. Edie, in turn, ordered Major Stan Waters to lead the battalion's push north. The battalion mounted Sherman tanks from the Royal Scots Greys 2nd Dragoons, a British armored regiment whose battle honors, by the way, included the Battle of Waterloo, though mounted on horses, of course. Thus, mounted on British tanks, they moved full speed ahead. Edie followed Waters' tanks in his own jeep, and the Canadian Parachute Battalion steamed forward. While the convoy met occasional pockets of resistance, they were not serious enough to slow it in any way. In fact, many Canadians reported how they overran whole formations of fully armed German troops who simply chose not to resist. The war diarist for the Canadian Parachute Battalion wrote, and I quote, Thousands of German troops lined the road and crowded the villages, some cheering us on, though most were a despondent-looking mob. As the battalion got closer to Wismar, the war diarist reported that, and I quote, We came across a German workshop detachment, numbering some 3,000, who had orders to surrender. The confusion was indescribable in that wood. German civilian women, men, and children were there with the troops, and when the troops were lined up three deep on the road, they had their wives and children with them on the trek back to the prisoner of war cages. This was because the rumor was ripe that the Russian army was only nine miles away. The civilians and soldiers were terrified of the Russians and wanted to be taken by us. Another paratrooper wrote that, and I quote, The strangeness of the situation is that we are passing complete units of the German army lying by the roadside, some with vehicles, some even with horse-drawn artillery, but no shots are exchanged, no white flags shown, and we cannot stop to disarm them. 
The Anglo-Canadian convoy entered Vismar at 0900 hours on May 2nd. And while they encountered some opposition from a German roadblock, it was overcome rapidly. Within hours, the Canadians had seized key bridges on the eastern side of town and took up defensive positions throughout the city. There were several German naval vessels in port, but these fled. By 4 p.m., Vismar and its crucially important municipal airport was in Canadian hands. Shortly after 4 p.m. that day, a leading company of 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion, Charlie Company, which was occupying the easternmost bridge in Vismar, saw its first Red Army troops. Sergeant Nelson M. MacDonald was leading a small section on patrol when they ran into a Russian major riding a motorcycle with his sergeant in the sidecar. The major was well ahead of his own forces. He was conducting reconnaissance and was surprised to run into Canadians. The story goes that Sergeant MacDonald and the Soviet officer exchanged rough pleasantries, neither of them having an interpreter there, and then shared some vodka. This Soviet officer was part of the 3rd Tank Corps of the 70th Army, part of the 2nd Belarusian Front. A front is similar to a British-designated army group. Now, this Soviet front was commanded by Marshal Konstantin Rokozovsky. Despite Initial friendliness, the Soviets were reportedly quite put off by the fact that the Canadians were occupying what was, to them, a Soviet objective. Regardless, initially, relations between the two sides were cordial. As one paratrooper put it, and I quote, Well, the war is over. We ran out of Germans and ran into Russians. Both sides intermingled. Numerous bottles of vodka and other spirits were shared between the Allies. Some trading of goods and souvenirs went on. A few photographs were even taken. One of the fascinating aspects of this encounter was that there were enough Canadian soldiers who could speak Russian or a variety of Eastern European languages. The Canadian cultural mosaic as it was ensuring that a number of paratroopers had a wide variety of ethnic backgrounds, many still speaking the original languages of their family's European motherland. This allowed for quite a bit of interaction to occur. Underneath all of this friendliness was a tense realization that one of these two allied forces were going to have to back down over their claim to Vismar. One paratrooper wrote, and I quote, my first impression was that they, the Soviets, were the hardest-looking bunch of toughs I had ever seen. Now, the story goes that when Lieutenant Colonel Eady met with his Soviet counterpart, that Soviet officer formally demanded the Canadians withdraw. Eady refused. On the 5th of May, the Soviets established their own roadblocks, roughly 100 meters east of the Canadian positions, with their guns pointed directly at the Canadians in Vismar. The standoff was further complicated by unofficial reports that the Russians were conducting attacks against German civilians. One lance sergeant of the paratroopers reported that these attacks only stopped once a couple Russians were shot and killed. Now, who shot them and killed them is unknown, 
but it's unlikely that it was a Canadian soldier considering the intense diplomatic ramifications of something like that occurring. By the 5th of May, the friendliness had very much cooled to a frosty staring contest. The Soviets had repeated their demands that the Canadians withdraw from the city. After Edie refused to pull out, the Soviets pressed their claims to Major General Eric Bowles, commanding officer of 6th British Airborne Division, and still the Anglo-Canadians refused to budge. The issue was finally kicked upstairs to none other than Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery, who actually flew into Vismar on the 7th of May to meet with his counterpart, Rokozovsky. They sought to find an amicable solution to the issue of Vismar, and it was Montgomery who agreed to turn over the city to the Soviets. This was based on the pre-arranged lines drawn up at the Yalta conference months before. The 8th of May was officially Victory in Europe Day. The Second World War in Europe was over, and one week after that, the men of 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion, the Canadian unit to have penetrated the deepest into Germany, were leaving the region of northern Germany to begin their journey home. The last British troops departed July 1st, and Wismar was quickly handed over to the Soviets as per the Yalta agreements. However, despite Wismar falling behind the Iron Curtain, the seizure of the city by 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion helped stall Soviet westward expansion. It allowed for thousands of German civilians to escape the retribution of the Red Army and may have, in fact, helped save Denmark from being incorporated into the post-war Soviet-European order. I want to thank you all for listening today. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Patreon. And you can find us on all podcast listening devices. And please do not hesitate to write and leave a comment. We love to hear from you. I'm David Boris. Stay curious, friends.